Welcome to For the Culture Podcast, where we and our guests discuss our lived experiences in science. This podcast explores how our work and mere presence impact our culture today. This podcast is an unfiltered conversation and really more of a therapy session where we can vent and um, hopefully the audience can benefit from our experiences. This podcast provides a platform for emerging and current scientists to discuss their development as individuals and community leaders in order to help and improve our culture. Yo, welcome back, everybody. It's good to be back on the podcast. We had some amazing guests in the past couple weeks, really. So it was kind of a good switch up for us to kind of just have a conversation among the hosts, my co-hosts, the host of the show, uh, myself, Ian, Ian, Ian going crazy over there, having a good time. Y'all can't see that over the podcast. Hilarious. Yeah, but it's good times, man. It's been, it's been as always, another another interesting week, I'll say. But uh, I'm happy to be here with you guys and having uh, conversations. How's it going with you guys? Living life and life is living me, my brother. Coming Amen. up on my 30s. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Weekend, let's go. What? Are you going to share the uh, podcast, what you're, what you're doing, or, or is that a post-show conversation? Uh, I think I am. Um, I have a friend who's uh, spinning some records at a location on Saturday in Brooklyn. So I'm gonna pull up on him Ooh. and try to have a good time and nice, uh, nice. reminisce nice. over my 20s, what I didn't do, what I did do. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna drop some um, Instagram gems and be like, you know, life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, man. But all you know, retrospective. <laughs> oh yeah, all retrospective. All retrospective. But no, I'm just blessed to be here, man. Just happy to see it. You know, it's been a crazy last week of my twenties. I just been pulling all nighters with work. It reminds me of like my twenties when I was in college and grad school. So nothing different, to be honest. Actually, yeah, that's that's pretty much true. Yeah, that's what scares me is like that lack of difference. Like, cause I keep telling myself, like, yeah, you know. Like I, I've never taken a break really. Like, like I didn't go directly into graduate school, but like I went directly into like a program, which is basically like going into graduate school with like working at the same time. And then I went directly into graduate school with like a couple months gap. So and then the rest is history. Mm-hmm. So it's like I was sort of like, huh, all right. After I have some letters in front of my name, they're like, yeah, sure, I could you know, put my feet up a little bit, right? Like, nope, nope. It's just more the same or even worse, it sounds like, so. Big facts. Like, all my 20s, <laughs> literally all my 20s have been dedicated to science. Ooh, I don't know if that's a great thing, a good thing, or in between, but I've been sciencing since science was science. So. You know, right. right. <laughs> it's a while, because people always say, oh, you know, well, what you do doesn't define you, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, everything you do, like everything does, you do right. defines you. Exactly. <laughs> and everything yeah. you don't especially, do. the, especially what you spend most of your time doing and or yeah. thinking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, science yeah. has uh, definitely been my lady luck and my uh, my ride or die all through my twenties, getting me paid. I was about to right, say something exactly. crazy, but I'm not gonna say that word. <laughs> 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 
getting me paid, but you know, yeah, it's been a it's been a strange love affair through my twenties with this uh, thing called mm-hmm. fun. Well, that's what's up, that's man. Right. We'll, we'll see what the th- how the thirties treat you, man. I know my twenties was crazy, but uh, I learned a lot doing it. So thirties thirties is a good time. It's like you're a little bit more in control of your destiny. You did you did what you're supposed to do. You follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Went to school. Did everything you're supposed to do. Now it's like everything's on you, bro. Big facts. I feel like honestly, I think people look at it. Uh, when I was like in my teens and early twenties, I was like, man, people in their thirties. Oh, now that I'm in my about to be in my thirties, I'm like, man, this is like, there's so much more life to live. I feel like it's your twenties, but you're just a little bit, as they say, you're grown enough to know better, but still young enough to, you know, to act up a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see. So you got a couple more days to act a fool. So go ahead, go for it, bro. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Responsibly. Yes, sir. So uh, there's a lot of things in the news right now about, like, of course, you know, 2020 was all about addressing, well, really about the pandemic, but it really uncovered, you know, structural racism for the majority of Americans. I think for us on the podcast, it was something that we already could clearly see, but it took some others, uh, some extreme events to really begin to reckon with. And I'm happy to announce that, you know, the NIH uh, just released a plan that's going to actually confront structural racism within their reins. So um, this is a big this is a big step because they're actually putting the money where their mouth is. Um, prior to this, you know, they had some reforms where they threw money towards health disparities research and things like that and just trying to study the effects of racism and how we should go about making these changes. But now, you know, they're realizing 10 years later, 15 years later, that's simply not enough. There's only about a, a, an average of two, less than 2% of black uh, senior investigators are at the NIH. That's a stark, stark uh, statistic. And I so they're realizing that re- they really need to go a little bit further and really put uh, money into uh, investing in scientists of color um, because the NIH gets a whopping $40 billion a year for their budget, $40 billion a year wow. for the budget. <laughs> and less than half of that goes to uh, people of color. Uh, they're, they're scientists. So like- How many zeros is that? Nine? That's like nine, three, six, nine, zero. A lot of zeros, you know what I'm saying? I didn't zeros. realize they, get, they made zeros. that much money, to be honest. But um, mm-hmm. you know, it's one, it is one of the biggest organizations in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll see if the things that they're that they're proposing to do um, actually has an impact on people coming in, coming up in the ranks, especially us, um, students who want to go maybe in academia or even uh, assistant professors and um, ones trying to, trying to seek tenure. Because, as you know, getting tenure is really, really hard. You got to have those research dollars under your belt, those grants, publications, et cetera. So. Um, it's kind of like want to know what you guys think about, you know, your thoughts about the pipeline um, in academia. And if you think that, you know, there's some holes in it that, you know, should be filled up. You think that the money that they're putting towards addressing structural racism um, goes far enough. Mm. Well, do you think we're going to end up seeing more people uh, going the industry route or like, you know, nursing or clinical research or the uh, MD route even um, in order to, 
you know, avoid having to worry about grants. I, I think that's as a, as a metric, that's one of the, you know? I think that's one of the things that they're trying to address. So like, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to give a lot of money to, for you to study health disparities. Like not everybody wants to study health disparities research. You shouldn't have to be black to be, to study health disparities. You know, what if I want to study robotics? What if I want to study um, CRISPR technology? What if I want to study, you know, you know, single cell sequencing? I shouldn't have to like be pigeonholed into what, where the funding is, you know? So if the funding is there for people of color and, you know, they kind of do what they do for young investigators, they, they, they identify these young investigators and they provide a pathway for them all throughout their, their education, I think that will kind of take a lot of students away from the path of going to in, into industry because the money's there and they're gonna realize that, oh, there's money over here too. And the pathway isn't as, as difficult as it has been for like people in the past. I can openly admit, like when I was graduating for, I mean, graduating with my PhD, that was one of my main decision factors in choosing whether to go to industry or to stay in academia. Um, and not to say that there wasn't access to certain grants or funding um, that would have, you know, taken care of my expenses as far as, you know, living. <laughs> and of course, you know, research funding and you know, training experiences as well. There's like the K grants and uh, things of that nature. Uh, but it did scare me because, you know, I have talked to people who were postdocs at the time or even professors. And they were like, you know, the route to tenureship is really hard right now. It's really, really hard. And seeing some people be assistant professors for years, like, you know, trying to make sure that they one, either have that big R01 funding and that launches them into tenureship or, you know, just competing amongst others, especially even minorities, like for the minority funding. Um, and I guess we'll get into that too as we continue to talk. But yeah, that, that definitely scared me. That was something that I was a little uncertain about. And it was certainly something that was a little more attractive to me for industry. Um, being so that, you know, you're working for billion dollar industries or billion dollar companies and, you know, you don't really have to compete necessarily for funding. Um, that looks different for different uh, facilities and different companies as well. But yeah, that was something that was definitely on the back of my mind and from other people that I know as well, you know, even if, even if they did proceed, you know, to have an experience that was funded by the NIH grant wise, you know, that was something that was actively on their minds too. Do I want to stay in said situation, you know, for my whole career, wondering if, you know, I'll make it to get this grant or if I'll make it to get my grant renewed. Even my, I can admit, even my PI, you know, um, that was a concern of his as well. And I'm quite sure PIs across the country have that concern too. You know, it's not also just about getting the grant, it's about keeping it. And, you know, the NIH, as far as funding, they sway based on what's the most important or the most highlighting um, disease, functional area, or, you know, occurrence. Right now, it seems to be a hot area with COVID. A lot of money is being poured into labs, into researchers who are willing to embark on different um, aspects of COVID and how they're touching communities. Um, in the Black community, I know for uh, as well in our home institutions, you know, there has been a lot of money thrown at these institutions to be partners um, with private and uh, uh, NIH-funded uh, facilities as far as, you know, jumping in the race to figure out how they can um, help with the disparity seen in COVID cases or just looking at its occurrences all over. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely it was definitely long story short, it was definitely something that was on my mind when I was graduating. Like, okay, do I want to take this tenure track and what does that look like? And I'm not gonna say that's a complete turn off because I still have um aspirations of one day coming back to academia. I'm not sure when that exactly will happen, but you know, that is something that's on my mind too, even working in the industry that I need to be up on grant writing or at least have relevant research that's not only good. Um, for, you know, for-profit companies, but also is relevant to what the NIH and other government facilities are willing to back and fund um, as well. But yeah. So you did mention that, um, you know, you were talking to somebody about, you know, how the tenure track is kind of difficult. And, you know, I heard I hear that a lot too um, from assistant professors and even yeah. associate professors trying to get to that route. But I do yeah. wonder, like, since we're talking about the structural issues here, is it sometimes that that route is difficult because people are looked over mm. and the research is, is deemed not important or their institution, although be, be it small or minority serving, they may not have that clout or that credibility as, I put credibility yeah. in quotes, uh, as others institutions may have. So that bias is there. Do you think that some of the barriers to succeeding in this tenure track um, are based in structural issues hmm well i think it's you know like most things it's usually both you know uh in a sense of it's usually the macro and the and the micro um so there's usually a structural issue but then there's always person-to-person factors too um you know and so that would be that'd be my answer i don't want to be overly brief but you know, I feel like, yeah, I mean, it's always kind of both of you ask me. Yeah, something I was thinking about. I agree. Um, I totally agree with both of you. Um, on the aspect, I want to touch on some of those aspects. So uh, the one being for grant writing processes, and we've all somewhat uh, been through this experience, but a big part of those grants is that you're writing what facilities or access to instrumentation or training that you have. And, you know, sometimes that does hurt some of the HBCUs or some of the smaller institutions because we may not have um, such a robust catalog of different um, instrumentation or cutting edge instrumentation um, that you can get to. Um, And also for institutions, you know, who are maybe starting with smaller PhD programs or research programs in general, that limits your ability to, you know, really Sometimes, I'm not going to say it's in all cases, but sometimes uh, from what I've heard from others who are applying for grants and things of that nature, it has a limited, uh, it does have an effect on how they apply for these grants, how you, how closely you associate or choose words to put in those grants about how you're going to get trained. And, you know, of course, that goes, that funding goes into hiring more teachers hiring more professors who are on, you know, that tenure track, more people who want to take in students and can afford to take in students. And I think that's a big deal too. And we'll probably touch on that before the night's over with. Um, But yeah, I've I've definitely seen how those things come into play. Um, Even talking to my professor, uh, my PI back at my institution, it was just like, it was something that he mentioned on the regular. Um, But touching on the structural racism aspect as well, I always say, and this is just my, watching everything that went on this year with uh, these private industries trying to stand for the our people, I'll say. Um, throwing money at a situation does not help. Uh, I think money has to be spent earnestly. 
um, directionally and intentively. Um, and I think that's something that all institutions and private industries could probably benefit from is really sitting down with those um, those three things. You know, throwing a mo- throwing money at anything is never the greatest idea. I mean, throw money at me, hell, please. But <laughs> but, but it's uh, just in all earnesty, like that's something that I've been like kind of watching, even as things uh, this whole structural racism thing kind of. Uh, uh, what's the right word tempered down after we've kind of progressed back into a somewhat new norm. I've been watching to see are people really just because you threw money at a foundation that supports whatever cause that is affected by minorities. Like how are you prolonging that? How are you, you know, making sure that it's touching the right people. Same thing that we have uh, that we've talked about in our diversity and inclusion conversations, you know, Throwing numbers, adding numbers, and just throwing money does not solve a situation. Um, but yeah, I think that's why you know we should there should be some more stipulations to that funding because um, I've also seen on the other side how granting people uh, more money to study health disparities can be kind of misappropriated, um, meaning that you may have people who work in that field who truly do not care about those health disparities. And that's something I think that needs to be talked about as well. Um, but yeah, that's just my general two cents. Yeah, I just hope that at the end of the day that you know another 10 years doesn't go by. And then, you know, institutions like the NIH realize that, you know, what they put in place isn't working or hasn't worked. Um, and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's taking the scientific approach to studying this kind of data, but like if the people are not in these places where, you know, look at the minority serving institutions, have them on your review committees, have them, you know, making decisions. Um, you know, the director of the NIH, uh, Francis Collins is actually actually stepping down from his position. He's been there for three, four different presidencies, you know, I think 12 to 15 years, it's a very long time, you know, pretty much since right after the, uh, the human genome project essentially. And so I think it's, you know, timely, but also, you know, it's time for some fresh blood and to carry this thing forward because we got to think a little differently how we want to be the, the scientific and health workforce of the nation. It's got to be diverse. And you all know that diversity and thought leads to better, more inclusive um, outcomes for patients and, and, and people in the US. So. We got to figure out ways to make sure that we include our HBCUs and also just minority uh, investigators in general, just giving them opportunities uh, to show the work that they can do. Now, uh, I'll be interested to, to read more details about some of the plans that they have, but I think this is a, a good start for them to kind of turn the table a little bit because I think people were kind of retreating away from academia. You know, the NIH, NIH is a great place to work. Um, I've, only, I've only visited but I've, we've had guests on the show that talked about like the great research that they're doing there, mm-hmm. but those opportunities are actually kind of, you know, the very, those spots are very, very small, you know, very competitive, so, as well. very, very competitive, competitive. Mm-hmm. and industry is competitive as well, but you know, they're, they're, they're doing their part. I mean, they are throwing money, but you know, we'll see if that actually that lasts and people start moving back towards academia right now. We'll see. As Bia says, it's a whole lot of money up in this place. 
But a uh, lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't say it like that, but you know. Yes, uh, but yeah, that's that's my thing too, because uh, I've I've noticed even generations of students like before myself, but uh, even with my class and some of the classes that I've graduated since, like I have noticed a lot of people more so engaged in the industry. And I don't know if it's because of those hindrances or, you know, other complications as well, or just, you know, and I, and I think uh, another good source for NIH, NIH funding would be to, you know, expand on the training skill sets that students could learn too. Um, yes, I know, you know, there will be students who want to go to industry because of the incentives that come with it. Um, but I think just giving your, giving students a chance to have training experiences that are, you know, super in depth and cutting edge. And not to say that those, um, those training, uh, training experiences aren't open now, but I think they should really start asking students, what are you interested in? Um, fun camps for them to go and, you know, learn about the different uh, forms and subsets of research and, you know, how their skill sets could be used in different ways and, you know, just give more incentives. And I, and I know that's hard to say because, you know, at the end of the day, this is a lot of taxpayer money that goes into, you know, this, uh, this source um, but also, you know, you want to keep some of those bright, intelligent minds and, you know, a lot of them or even increase the incentive to teach. And I think that's a big thing too. Um, maybe more rewarding, make it more rewarding for students to stay engaged and to also pass on that knowledge and the skills. Um, shout out to Kofi um, for also being on double duty and being a good representation of what that NIH funding can go to be. You know, he's a walking example of someone who's doing research, but he's also you know, teaching others and doing it in an academic institution. Um, so yeah, fund more people like Kofi, you know, give them more incentives. To <laughs> give them more incentives. Yeah, far, far to far <laughs> make, exactly. Make the pay grade a far little bit. Make the pay grade. No, I mean, but honestly, to your point, no, I mean, that's a great point. Honestly, just because like, uh, like my, literally my, like, I listened to you guys talking and I was just thinking how my first um, post-bat program, my first, little benchwork experience out of undergrad was at the NIH, uh, specifically at the National Cancer Institute for uh, for my first summer summer program really um on that on that level. Um so yeah I mean it's definitely uh, a very true statement that like I I definitely wouldn't be here um without you know the the NIH you know first putting their money behind me, their support behind me. Um, to do research on on campus for a, for a whole summer, um, and one of my best um, best slash favorite mentors, who I'm who I'm still you know very much so cool with, um, you know ten plus years later, you know uh, who we you know him and I still catch up sometimes, you know just to, you know chat, and uh, that's all be, because of the of the NIH you know pairing me with people who were patient with me, you know, as I got experiments wrong and didn't know anything from <laughs> anything. Um, but that level of exposure, like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm just very, you know, grateful against NIH and, and also the God that like, yeah, put in me to, you know, hustle while I was there and, uh, um, you know, really trying to take advantage of that opportunity to expose myself to different, different lectures um, that's one thing I didn't really talked about. I feel enough is all the all the 
just free free game, you know, that's given, you know, at um, hot elite uh, institutions, you know, because they have all of the funding. So they, they have people coming in from like all over the world at different levels to talk about any any and everything. You know, so if you can find a lecture literally almost every day um, that that doesn't pique your your interest, your your interest somewhere, then, you know, I'm not I'm not really sure if, if you if you bleed red blood the same as me, because, like I said, they literally are talking about everything. Um, so that's that's not to go on too long, but I just want to point out one the the importance of access and exposure early. Um, when you're when you're getting started with any kind of research in any on any level of science, um, heck, I mean, even one of the students who was in that same summer program that I first started off in, he was the son of of the of one of the PIs who was who was in that lab, you know, and and he was in was in high school, and he was over the summer doing bench work <clears throat> at the at the NIH as a high school senior. So that's a, you know, I, I, I was a college, college senior and that was my first opportunity to do work on that yeah, level. So yeah. that, I mean, um, to be honest, that's my competition, you know? So that just shows you the level of, of jumpstart that, that you could potentially give any student, regardless of background or, or color by providing opportunity, you know? So uh, I think both of you guys are are correct that it's about follow follow through at at this point, not just good fit. No, I totally yeah. agree, and uh, I'm glad you spoke on those pipelines too, because I think that is a big thing. You know that all funding could go towards. To be honest, like you know, students like myself, and I think all of us have spoke on that um, at some point in our journey to science. Like we weren't sure at high school or, you know, middle school, I think there should be more collaborations with the NIH or any other institution, to be honest, um, trying to find talented young scientists or just sparking the interest of young people into STEM, into science. And um, I also want to give a shout out to the NIH for, you know, I've had some friends who are in bioinformatics, as you two gentlemen are as well. Um, Just seeing from a distance, like, you know, the push that they've been to fund different experiences for bioinformatics and how you can use that in these different disease states. Um, that's something I've got to watch from the outside looking in when I'm looking at you guys and your experiences as well and other friends that I have too. Um, so I do want to say like we don't want to get it misinterpreted. We're not trying to downplay the NIH on this podcast. It's not what we're saying, but um, we're just saying, you know, there's always room for improvement. Um, and like I said earlier, throwing money at a situation does not help it, but Building structure and finding talent, I think, is the key uh, keys to success for any funding that they should do and also fostering another generation of scientists who want to stay and help others develop and also contribute to the world and uh, understanding of science as a whole. Yeah, I definitely concur with everything you guys said. You know, I think ultimately, you know, opportunity is the is the key. And it's got to start early. So um, whatever happened in between, you know, the NIH and getting reaching uh, people in our community, you know, in the high school level, even middle school and younger, um, that's got to improve. And I think we could be part of that solution, too, by just knowing that 
as a PhD and graduates like yourself, Ian, you know, we are resources. Like we know how to get this information. And so we got to do a better job of kind of connecting the dots for people because it's a, it's a, NIH is a beast. It's a, it's a huge machine and it's a very powerful machine. But, but um, you know, sometimes just going on the website may be difficult for people who don't really know what they're looking for. And I think if we ask the right questions to people that we know personally, we could be able to point people in the right direction. So, um, you know, kudos to the NIH for taking steps to, uh, to improve. Uh, but, the, you know, like, like you said, we're not trying to bash NIH, but we are holding, uh, you know, our institutions uh, accountable and responsible uh, and to get better. So, um, yeah. Yeah, man. And I also, uh, I guess I was saying about the incentives and I think what you just spoke on was immaculate. Um, I think when we're talking about, you know, reaching back to our communities, like I was saying, with uh, paying some of these students who are doing double duty, doing research, but also teaching um, undergraduate students, but also, you know, do some fostering to get some of these PhD students um, and master's students, all graduate students to have an element within their training in which they go back to have to kind of do um, reach uh, outreach to younger, you know, generations going to the middle schools. I would have loved that if there would have been, you know, some extra funding to kind of cover that as long uh, along the way, that would have been even more, you know, cool. I would have done it just out of the peer you know, for the pure heart of it. And I have done that in my own ways. Um, but I think that's something that sparks, you know, an interest and also gives students a chance to see, you know, their growth and development. But also it's nothing like seeing the spark of interest in a young child's eyes. Uh, I know uh, Morehouse School of Medicine used to be a big participant in the Atlanta Science Fair. And I had a chance to do that my first year um, as a student uh, with some other students in the program as well. That that to me was something that stood out about uh, stood out to me about all of my you know all my years um, as a PhD student at Morehouse and it really kept me going you know my first year when classes are difficult and I'm not quite understanding why I have to know all this information <laughs> at the same time but yeah I definitely agree with you on yeah I'm looking forward to the Atlanta Science Fair opening back up because. 2020 was trash, man. <laughs> I, I do miss like just getting out and the mentorship aspect of things. Uh, we used to do that a lot at Morehouse. So hopefully uh, people get their vaccines because well, I ain't walking up. I'm not walking up in there. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm actually glad both of y'all, uh, I mean, brought that up because I, I actually never had opportunity to go to the, uh, to the, to the, Atlanta Science Fair. Um, I mean, but that's definitely how I got started too in the in the mm. science game. You know, was you know elementary school science fairs. Um, I definitely should take them way way too seriously, probably compared to my competition. <laughs> but um, no, I mean that's that's definitely where we're starting. Um, I think so. I mean, just to piggyback on both of you guys said about teaching. Um, you know, I think when you help other people, you definitely help yourself. And uh, I can definitely speak from personal experience. You know, it, it definitely makes, you know, science. I would say whatever you do, business or art, you know, and name any um, industry under the sun. If you can find a way to teach and to give back, you know, to someone who um, is trying to get to where you are, but clearly isn't there yet, then you know, that, that's how you make the world a better place. <laughs> I think it's really kind of one, one plus one equals two like that. 
you know, someone, someone helps you. No man is a, or woman is a mountain, um, or in, or an island. Uh, even though some of us, you know, may like to think we are, none of us are. And, um, in that, in that same vein, uh, you know, each one teach one, as they say, you know, um, because it's because this conversation is much bigger than the NIH or any one corporation or or conglomerate of corporations, you know, throwing money at a at a problem. At the at the end of, of of the day, I'll just end by quoting Fred Hampton. You know, where there's people, there's power. You know, and each one of us has the power to affect the change that we want. You know, it's not about relying on NIH or anybody else. Each one to each one, find somebody to help. I can promise you there's somebody there who can who can use your, your help. Lawrence, <laughs> you're crazy in the back. I'm done, I'm done, y'all. <laughs> preach, preach. Preach, though, preach, preach, preach. Oh, interestingly, man, I didn't know how much industry collaborates with the NIH as well. I mean, it makes sense. Um, yeah long time when you think about it because you know we're doing stuff that's clinical and you know everybody should share that information that adds to the general body information for science but man i really did not know how much collaboration goes on between industry and the nih um so yeah if you have a chance and you're listening read up on that ask people in industry if you're looking to go into industry how does that work if you're in the lab and you have somebody that you can ask as well and your own home institutions look that up and as lauren said don't be shy. Go on the NIH on website. Find out ways how you can get involved, how you can give back. Um, even if you can't do it, directly talk to the NIH. Get a group of friends together. Start a podcast or <laughs> start a community service group any way that you can. And shout out, once again, I want to give a special shout out to all the grad students who do double duty. Not only are you doing your research projects, um, trying to graduate, trying to find the next step, but you're also being a good service person and giving back to your community, doing double duty, even if it's teaching an institution um, or just going and, you know, giving your time volunteering to teach students or, you know, helping the young ones learn what science is. Um, just shout out to all of you guys. Um, and a special shout out to our Kofi on the podcast as he's currently doing. So follow him on Instagram so you can Kofi. see he has some cool ideas about how you can give back and also as a young scientist, how you can um, also curate your journey um, so that others can learn and see what it's really about. And that's simple things like that. Um, I think in the NIH should definitely get involved in. Also, I want to give a shout out to the National Black, Black Postdoc Association. Um, those are another incentives, you know, if anybody from the NIH is listening um, little small organizations like that for minorities or such as our podcast for the culture podcast follow us on facebook twitter instagram all that good stuff like uh, like sub please yes, all those. yes yes find those groups those organizations fund them see how they're um coming up with different initiatives on how they're giving back or how they're trying to populate interest into stem into science and Fund those. Those are, I guess, we are a solutions-oriented podcast, so I'm just throwing out some ideas for anybody that's listening or anybody that will listen in the future. But, yeah, fund us, too, because we're, we're all about that, giving back, giving back. And special shout-out, again, to all those grad students doing double duty. Shout-out to those who have graduated, to the professors who are taking minority students into their labs and non-minority students as well and giving them opportunities to learn, um, to experience what the science can be like. Um, so, yes. And thank you to the NIH for funding my experience as well. Shout out to the RISE program. 
Um, shout out to all the government institutions who are in collaboration with the NIH in some way or another, because little do you know, they pretty much are. And I did not know that. Um, that's why I brought up the industry thing today. But, but yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, huge, huge shout out to Ryan. All right, carry on. That's it. Ryan's still, still paying me. So shout out to Ryan. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I think we covered the gamut on uh, all the thank yous and all of our, all the ones responsible for funding our education. So, <laughs> which is very important. Uh, but yeah, you know, this conversation doesn't end here. And we'll probably pick this up sometime in the future. And, uh, maybe at a roundtable discussion. So keep this conversation going online. Uh, we post this episode every Sunday. And on Spotify, you can actually ask questions, respond to our questions, and you know, uh, engage with us. So definitely check it out and uh, keep this conversation going. So we'll catch you uh, on the next episode. Peace. Yeah. Peace. And have a <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to For the Culture Podcast with your hosts, Ian, Kofi, and Lawrence. If you're new here, don't forget to click that subscribe button and follow us on social media. Help us grow by liking and sharing this episode with your family and friends. Hey, that's all for this episode. See you next time.